learning to to value play is also in a way learning to value freedom if you can relate play to freedom in that sense and to value play is to value our imagination to value our creativity and continually entertaining the idea that we always have an option to create new models of being and for me that's particularly significant considering the kind of state of being that we're kind of existing in right now. Hello everyone. My name is Dr. Cindy Burnett and my name is Dr. Matthew Wurwood. This is the Fueling Creativity and Education podcast. On this show, we'll be talking about creativity topics and how they apply to the field of education. We'll be speaking with scholars, educators, and resident experts about their work, challenges they face, and digging deeper into new and varying perspectives of creativity. All with the goal to help fuel a more rich and informed discussion that provides teachers and parents with knowledge they can use at home or in the classroom. So let's begin. So today we welcome to the show Shuiko Kanyoka, who is a project manager for placemaking programs at Play Africa with a background in architecture. Her work is driven by her passion for supporting children's creative expression and right to the city through participatory development. She's currently preparing to scale Play Africa's Design Thinking with Children program across sub-Saharan Africa, empowering children with creative skills through encouraging their active citizenship within their communities. Welcome. Thank you, Cindy. I'm really glad to be here. So tell us about you and how you became the program manager for Play Africa. So briefly put, my background is in architecture, and during my postgraduate studies, I really developed a deep interest in how the built environment could better support a child's development. During that time, I was learning a lot about participatory development and going into school communities that greatly reminded me a lot of my own early learning experiences, where I had very limited agency over the things that affected my life. I was seeing a lot of that, and it created this deep desire in me to find a way for my work to be in service of children. And after various explorations, I eventually went on to join Play Africa in the development of the Designing with Children Toolkit. It created a great continuity in what I had grown passionate about. And with great mentors who are passionate about empowering children in the organization, like Rachel and CEO Gretchen Wilson-Prangley, this paved way for me to become program manager for the placemaking programs at Play Africa. And I just have a follow-up because we talk a lot about kind of like, you know, blend of connections, collaboration, various different backgrounds. I'm just curious, your, your background in architecture, how does that play into your role? You know, can you give us some examples of how you seeing the world as an architect kind of helps support A, the curriculum and programs you design and, and maintain, but then also your work with, with children in the classroom? So I think one of the most important things was actually seeing the built environment as an acting agent on the growth of a child. So through that, um, I started realizing that there were more actors on the growth of a developing child than just, you know, engagement with teachers and so forth. So it was also looking at the physical environment that they're in and actually realizing that that has an impact on how children develop. 
So I think through that work, I found ways in which the built environment could be better shaped to actually support children's development. And in the process, also have children have their perspective shared in how they experience the physical environment. So this is part of how the designing with children approach came about, where it was like, how can children actually actively participate in this um, environment that usually they're a passive recipient of? So I, I, I do want to just follow up on this concept of the physical space, because we may have touched on it uh, in, in previous episodes, but I can only really remember in our, in our first season with Tamara Dolman, we kind of touched on this idea of a physical environment and how that contributes to, you know, how children are behaving and enacting and engaging with creativity. So I'm, I'm curious, the fact that you're getting children to kind of like, you know, participate in setting up that environment, are we talking about, you know, colors on the wall, pictures on the wall, um, moving around classroom furniture, everything? Or, and, or are we actually also talking about like the design and development of, of new physical structures as well? I think it's definitely both. What we really try to explore when engaging children is trying to kind of not put limitations in terms of how much they contribute to that process. So kind of keeping it open-ended for children to really bring their full selves into the process and explore that as much as they would like and then sort of work with whatever comes out of those workshops. So often you will find um, sort of surface level um, contributions, but often that also, um, what what I really love about the work is that it contributes to the creating of a whole new typology of architecture, right? Because you're starting to, I guess, engage with an age group that is often completely excluded in the development of communities. So I think what we're really doing is challenging architecture as a whole and creating a whole new typology of what cities that serve children look like. Can you take us through an example of the process that you use and then what happens with the children? How long does it take? What are the tools that you use or techniques or strategies? And then what are some of the outcomes you've seen? Our work is really supported by um, our view of, of children having a right to participate in public life and in placemaking. And we're trying to help children be seen, heard, and valued with voices and ideas that matter. And their ideas are really helping us co-design meaningful responses to our local contexts. And our participatory approach embraces design thinking. And through hands-on workshops, we're centering children's very experiences, feelings, and needs. And we're helping them learn how to identify social challenges and creatively problem solve through ideating, prototyping, and testing possible solutions for safer, more playful communities. So our workshop is designed to serve ages 7 to 12. But we have tested this approach with like ages slightly younger. We've also tested it with teenagers. And what we enjoy about this process is that we have observed children respond really well to how we infuse play in the process. And it becomes this playful and creative problem-solving experience where children learn creative skills. And they're also coming together to think about the ways they can make space for more play and more playful learning. 
And the workshops themselves run for about two to three hours, but they can be adapted to, for example, a classroom setting where you have um, a 30-minute segment every day, or you can have it longer, like a two-hour session in the morning, a two-hour session in the afternoon. You can also repeat this process multiple times because children only get better when they engage with a certain tool more than once. So once they go through this process, what are some of the things that they come up with and are they implemented? Are they thought about? Tell us more about that. So there's different ways in which we have been approaching this. Um, Some of these workshops have been implemented as creative exercises and opportunities for children to simply learn creative skills and communication skills and all kinds of different content regarding their physical environments, whether it's increasing their spatial awareness or just getting them more connected to their physical spaces that they use every day and empowering their voices. But sometimes we're also having opportunities for children to implement, um, for example, we've had children design a mural in their school which tackles mental health issues We've had children design for a boxing arena for an NGO that they work with. It, it really depends on the context that we're working in and the kind of need there is in that particular context and what, I guess, the rituals are for those children and what they value the most. So we, we're really having a lot of outcomes and we kind of work on it depending on the case and the context in which we're in. This conversation is reminding me of uh, an episode we had with Rochelle Archer around artful leadership because there was a sense of using the arts to kind of connect with personal attributes, your identity, and kind of like bring that into the environment to kind of assist and help with your own agency and, and leadership. And I feel like you're getting varied outcomes, perhaps as a consequence that this program is doing a really good job at connecting to the multiple identities that that exist in the program, all these different students bringing something new, something that they value. So could you talk specifically about that within this design thinking process? So is there really kind of what do you care most about and how do we bring that into the space? So I think what's most significant for us when we're engaging children in those communities and also when we designed the process, it was, I think, actually being sensitive to the fact that it's not enough for for us to work with um, theories that have been studied about children or simply engaging um, psychologists, for example, that, that have worked with children and studied children. Like those things often give you sort of um, generic information that can be applied to space. Whereas our approach, it's actually starting to delve into that identity that you're speaking of, where there's often like a group identity that you have within a certain context and you have certain cultures and you have certain rituals that children in a specific context will have. And I think what's powerful about this process is that when we start engaging with like a specific community, then you kind of get in touch with what is really happening in that context beyond the general information that you could access online or from a book and so forth. And that also creates these spaces that the people in the community or the children in the community can connect to 
and can also even help with further development of the spaces or maintain them. So, yeah. And this brings me right back to our episode with Vlad Glavino, where he talked about sociocultural theory and the importance of understanding the context of that community when you go in with creativity, ideas, and theories. So I think that really just drove the whole point of making sure you understand the context of the community before you bring in those creativity principles and really giving agency to the students to understand and reflect and create. Shawiko, I have to ask this question because I, I don't really know anything about urban city planning, but do follow the importance of us being more mindful on how we're designing communities and also actually thinking about the impacts of a changing climate in the future. And I'm just really curious to, to just ask you, are you getting students to think a little bit about that? We're definitely giving some thought to um, aspects like that. But I would say we do have other programs within Play Africa that specifically focus on like climate change and conservation and so forth. But um, in general, I'd say within the placemaking programs, there's definitely the, I guess, the forecasting of the city and the physical environments through um, the work that we're doing. And it also involves, I guess, we're working in very, just to give context to some of the spaces that we're working in, it's really in townships, in informal settlements and so forth. So these are also spaces where they have like very limited space, they don't have sanitation and so forth. So even just with regards to forecasting the future of those cities, it's also about um, thinking about ways in which um, greenery can be brought into those spaces. How can they have more spaces together? How can they have more sanitation and so forth? But Specifically speaking to um, conservation and so forth and um, climate change, we do have Play Africa programs that specifically speak to that, that they don't particularly fall under placemaking. Just to follow up on that, you know, there's a need to gather knowledge about particular problems and challenges. So could you talk us a little bit about how you go and help students acquire knowledge of these issues? Is it very much localized to South Africa? Are you using the World Wide Web? Are they actually interviewing and interacting with other people, other students? Or is it all just kind of like coming from their perspective, their viewpoint? Um, so a lot of our approach at the moment has been trying to really first make the process like more child-led. So kind of going from what is their perspective, what is their experience of the spaces before we kind of try to lead on to what to specifically focus on, but trying to kind of start it off on a clean slate and letting them lead us to the problems that they are identifying or the things that they are like, these are the positives and would like to amplify this beautiful thing that is happening in our space. So it's been very child-led, but then when we do gather the, the, the outcomes of those workshops, sometimes we will have a follow-up workshop where we're now focusing on some of the very specific challenges that they have identified and sort of support them in maybe thinking about those issues more deeply and providing them with materials to tackle some of those problems that they have identified. But we try to be led by them as opposed to kind of identifying the issues for them. 
Can you tell us more about how your program creates impact in communities beyond um, encouraging children's creative expression, which is so important, but perhaps with adults or educators, how are you creating impact? Through the Design Thinking with Children program, we have been offering trainings for educators and architects and community leaders to lead these workshops in within their own context, because we do realize that as much as we're passionate about reaching, you know, thousands and thousands of children, we just do not have the capacity to reach all the areas we'd love to. So one way we've been doing that is to offer trainings. And we also have educators, for example, or caregivers come in to observe our workshops as well. Through that process, we're seeing a lot of adults, educators, and caregivers come out of our workshops with either a newfound interest in supporting children's voices and creative expression, or with a new understanding of children's capacity as change makers. Through our trainings and workshops specifically, we're seeing a transformation in how adults view children and view play and view creativity. More adults come out of the workshops sharing our view of children as, you know, curious, strong and full of potential as full and complete citizens that are active agents in their own learning and development of their environments. So it's really exciting to witness. So could you tell us a little bit about play and, and why play is important? I would say play is really essential for me and for children particularly because I feel it's just a great way of acquiring knowledge and making sense of the world. In that sense, I just feel like it should be made more accessible to children and it's devastating in contexts like South Africa where we are. I think according to UNICEF, only 30% of the children in South Africa have access to safe play areas, I guess creates a very big demand for the work that we do. And um, I also feel it's like learning to, to value play is also in a way learning to value freedom, if you can relate play to freedom in that sense. And to value play is to value our imagination, to value our creativity and continually entertaining the idea that we always have an option to create new models of being. And for me, that's particularly significant considering the kind of state of being that we're kind of existing in right now. So Shavika, we, we've spoken about context. And I want to come back to that again. But you know, this idea of being able to have the freedom to play. Could you describe specifically some of the, you know, things that perhaps some might take for granted that others are not in a position? You know, what, what does that, that mean, the freedom to play? A lot of spaces in South Africa are still riddled with like the remnants of apartheid. And we have areas that just have such limited space and we have we still have schools that you know still need to go through major transformations in terms of just the quality of education they have limited resources very large classes where um you know like teachers don't really get to engage students one-on-one um and those schools often maybe don't even really have playgrounds and so forth So for me, 
when it really comes to the significance of play for children and what it really means, it's really just that freedom to explore and to express yourself and to kind of show up honestly, which I think play really allows us to do. And often they are really stuck in those environments where there's just restricted movement because of just the amount of space that is available to them. And then in the classrooms as well, just because of the size of the classrooms, you have these very rigid structures and instructions which are just meant to keep order and so forth. And so they really have that limited, I guess, permission to be themselves, to show up fully. And I think that's really what play offers people, and they just don't get the opportunity to do that, which is pretty devastating. Yeah. And there's there's certainly places in, in the US as well. You know, I, I remember traveling from one town. I'd only been in the country for about a year, and I remember traveling from one town to another town. It was 10 minutes apart. And there were children out playing in these playgrounds that look really well-funded and brand new. And you travel to the other town and there wasn't actually, you know, any playgrounds. And I remember there was a big conversation about a basketball court and trying to work with the community to make sure that there was an agreement that the basketball court would be a place that would main, you know, that everyone would kind of contribute and work toward making sure it was a state safe environment where kids could go to and just play and not have fears of, of any kind of, um, you know, violence or, or being attacked as well. And, you know, again, it, it seems small. It, it, it and we can take things for, for granted sometimes. And it, I can't help but go back to an interview that um, we had with Mohammed Issa again in season one. And we were talking about all these great ways of facilitating creativity and creative thinking and engaging students in real world project environments. And to a certain extent, what we were reminded of is before that takes place, there has to be a safe environment. Before that takes place, you know, um, children need to be to be comfortable if just being themselves. And 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 you know, uh, you know, Mohammed, if you remember, Cindy had referenced that mental health was also a, a challenge to a certain extent, and that was partly because people didn't feel safe. And so we can we can do everything we want about talking about creativity and you know all these different theories and practices. But again, when we we can't pick something from one part of the world or, or one town and think it's going to you know apply to the town next door or, or another country and that that is why collaboration is so important working together to collaborate but to understand whenever we're going implementing a program um you know this is what we need to consider as we put that into the environment so you know in terms of your program itself could you talk a little bit about that like how have you expanded it to to other areas have you had uh, conversations about other areas and has there been a kind of like unique ways and thinking about spaces based on different environments and have you had to kind of like tweak and change the program as well um, when when working with different people and different collaborators? Um, so we have definitely had to um, continually adapt the workshop and I think what has been really awesome is that when we were developing our toolkit and our approach to designing with children one of the things that were very significant or very important for us to incorporate was that adaptability. And we went through an entire period where we were just um, testing out the methodology in different contexts and with like different partners as well, just to see how adaptable that would be. Because 
I think one of the major challenges was that a lot of the resources that are available globally, um, they're really difficult to adapt to an African context. And that's sometimes because some of the methods require children to kind of um, engage with these participatory methods using video games like Minecraft, which in our context is not easily accessible to a lot of children. So we had to really think about a methodology that a teacher in the rural areas could kind of pick up and just gather recyclable materials and have children prototype ideas. So that was very significant for, very important in terms of the development of the workshop for us. And we have tested it in formal settlements. We have tested it with townships and other contexts. And we have also tried it with graduate students, for example, like architecture graduate students for their research projects. They have used this methodology to kind of come up with designs for their projects while engaging children. We have tried it in schools where they have sort of adapted it instead of, because it's designed as a two to three hour workshop, they have been able to adapt it into something they incorporate for, you know, like for their class periods, which are like half an hour. So they would have that over two, three weeks and have it like half an hour for two or three days per week. And we have also had um, people who have never worked with children use that methodology or people who have never engaged with placemaking use that methodology. So it's been interesting to see the different ways in which it can be adapted. We typically end our podcast with asking for three creativity tips, but instead of three creativity tips, I wonder if you could provide us with your standard sort of setup in terms of the workshops that you deliver one or two or three different sessions, if teachers have these at home, what could they implement? So often, let's say this is something that's being done in a school and they want to create a transformation in a communal space that the children use. It could be a library or a classroom and they just want to make it um, more engaging and playful and maybe even just accessible. We've had like occasions where we did it with at a kindergarten and some of the things that came out of the workshop were children just saying you know the where they have to hang their bags it's too high for them they can't reach for it like something so small like that can come out of the workshops and so some of the ways in which it could be adapted is to for example if you want to transform a classroom you kind of have a day when you do a site visit. So whether it's the classroom or it's the library, you take the children to, to the site to familiarize them with the space that they will be engaging with and also increase sort of their spatial awareness. If it's a much larger space, maybe you need to take a tour of the area and then you want to kind of prepare them for the design thinking process, which is like empathizing and defining the, empathizing with other children and defining the challenges that they face in that environment, which could be a whole exercise on its own because you're kind of also helping them build their vocabulary around their emotions and identifying those and also trying to understand how other children feel in those spaces. So sort of, decentering themselves in the process as well. 
and you could have a second session, a second or third session where they are just ideating, which is just drawing, getting comfortable with drawing and visualizing these different ideas that, that they want to see in those spaces. So what kind of transformations are they trying to see to tackle the challenges that they identified? So that could be a whole lesson on its own where they're just getting comfortable with getting those ideas on paper and communicating those. And you could have a fourth session where it's just prototyping and they are working with whatever materials are accessible to them. And maybe even before the prototyping, you just have a session with them where they are gathering materials for the workshop. So this could be them um, collecting over a week um, some materials from home that they can use for, for the workshop, whether it's boxes, paper, maybe even participating in making glue, making clay dough for the workshop. And then they have a whole session for pro- prototyping where they are picking some of the ideas that they, pro- that they ideated and building little models of these transformations they want to see in those spaces. And then you, you can still then have another session of testing and sharing. And depending on how they go through the different steps, you can also like repeat some of these some of these parts of the of the process, right? Because that's part of design thinking where it doesn't have to be linear. You can kind of go back to ideating again, you can go back to prototyping a few times, you can test and share, come back to prototyping again, test and share. So it's something that can really happen over a long period of time if you so wish. So Shabiko Thank you so much for um, being on our podcast. We've really enjoyed talking a little bit about this. And also, thank you so much. I think you probably have encouraged Cindy and myself to think a little bit more about physical space in in the future. I mean, we've always thought about it, but I think we probably do need to dedicate more episodes to talking about that. So that concludes this episode of the Fueling Creativity in Education podcast. If you're enjoying our content, please subscribe to our newsletter. You can find the link in our show notes. If you have any questions or thoughts about this episode, past episode, or even future future episodes, please reach out to Cindy or myself at questions at fuelingcreativitypodcast.com. My name is Dr. Matthew Werwood. And my name is Dr. Cindy Burnett. This podcast was produced by Creativity and Education and in partnership with dadsforcreativity.com. Our editor is Sina Yousafzadeh.